I'm going to uh, get into the preach word here. Um, and I do believe that uh, the messaging from this pulpit has been with, within the vein, right in the, within the vein of what God has been saying to the church. And in combination with the, the theme this month for consecration, um, for the month of January that pastors set forth. And, and even the messaging that we had, the last message of 2023. If, if you have not had an opportunity, please go back and listen to that. That was delivered by Pastor Chris on, on, on exploring the hardening of one's heart. And how does that happen? How does one's heart get hardened? If you have not listened to that, I advise you to do so. And, and I'm bringing all this in, into kind of fruition because the origin of the message that I want to give to you this afternoon is, is, is really an it's a combination of all those things. And so that gives you some context. And there's also some things that the Holy Spirit has, has brought to my remembrance of some things, some of this stuff you've maybe heard me state before. So I don't like to be redundant. I know sitting out there, you know, when you've heard somebody say the same things over and over again. But I, I want to tell you this before I say it, because I, the only reason I'm doing this is because I feel led by the Holy Spirit to do so. So I'm not doing it just because I've ran out of something to say, but there's, there's this errors that God keeps putting this on my heart. When he keeps putting my heart, I got to scratch my head and say, there's something to this. So I, I want, that's all, that's the context I want to give you as to what is the catalyst for this, this afternoon's message. But I, but I want somebody to, 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 to get a hold of this thing and, and do not take this lightly, but I want you to spiritually come out of the gates and take 2024 by storm. Take it by force. Take it with a ferocity. Take it with a tenacity. Take, take it with the mindset that I am going to see change. Do not let 2024 take you. But you take 2024. You know how we're going to take 2024? You know how we're going to take it? We're going to take 2024 by doing this. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 19. This is how we're going to take 2024. That's how we're taking our Bibles. It says, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this, do this, do it in remembrance of me. Colossians 3.23 says, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And this is the signature text that we're going to be taking a look at this, this afternoon is, is in James chapter 1. Verse 21 through 24. It says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. And I want to title this message this afternoon, Do It For Me. Do It For Me. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the presence that you've, you've, you've laid forth here, God. And I pray right now, Lord, for this first message in 2024, Lord Jesus, that you anoint this preacher, Lord, that it may be for the, from the throne, your throne room, that help me articulate this word with power, with anointing, with accuracy, Lord, with clarity, God, not from me, but from you, Lord, for your people, your body that have gathered here together, Lord. I pray that this would be the catalyst to move us into the new year and what you would have for us. I pray that the chains be unleashed, Lord, that they be broken, whatever bondage anybody walks in here with, Lord, that that bondage, that would leave free and at liberty in Jesus, in your precious and mighty name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. This is a time of year in which many of, many of us are setting goals, whether those goals are making plans to turn over a new leaf. And those leaves may be in different areas, and you're trying to essentially make change. Whether it's change spiritually, sometimes it's change naturally. Folks are going to start attempting to implement some type of change. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to the gym. I'm going to start eating better. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'll be more consistent with coming to church. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. I'm going to spend more time with my kids now, I'm going to share this with you, and many of you have heard me actually share this before. And again, I do not want to be redundant, but one of the things that ends up happening is that, and it's, it's, it's fitting that I share this for this time of year, is that when essentially we begin making change, what we usually do is we make change from two different platforms. We make changes based on either inspiration or change on desperation. And so the desperation is when the clothes start fitting a little bit too tight, when you find that you're out of breath going up the steps, when you're frustrated by what you see in the mirror, when the doctor says, I think we need to put you on some medication. We, we make change from that place of what I call desperation, despair. It's a, it's a place of panic. It's a feeling of a loss of, of control. There's a loss of, a loss of hope. But, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, people will embark on change from what you call inspiration. Inspiration, you, you saw that ad on TV and it inspired you to get yourself together. You, you read that article about the person who was in a similar situation, but somehow they managed to turn it around. Now they're doing well. You shared your goal with a friend, and that friend managed to break your goal down into action. So, girl, girl you, we, can, we can do this. All you got to do is do this. They broke your goal down into doable steps, and it made it, made it seem real. It made it, what I say, come alive. Made it, made, made it, it got you to the point where you're now inspired. In fact, that word inspire, inspire is actually the, a Latin word for to breathe into. It's the same connotations, and actually when you take a look at the word inspire, the word itself has a lot of theological connotations to, because when you begin to trace it back, it's the same mindset or the same visual that we get in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when the Bible says that God formed man from the dust of the earth, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Man became a what? A living soul. Adam became alive. There's something about it when you get inspired, when you get an idea, or you get something inside of you, you walk differently. There's, there's a different amount of confidence. You have a new pop, a new vigor. There's something about it. Inspiration. 
But the, here's the issue that usually happens, and I've shared this with you before. What typically happens is we make changes from one of these two places. We either make it from desperation or we make it from inspiration. The problem with this is that not, neither one of those two actually leads to a lasting change. So what happens is, is the doctor tells you that we, we may need you to put you on medication or we're thinking about having, you, you, you may need surgery. And out of desperation, you know what you do? We begin to eat better, right? We begin to exercise, right? And, and you do this for a, a little bit of time. And, and, and as things go on, things suddenly get better. And you go back to the doctor and the doctor looks you over and says, well, well you've been doing a good job. We may need to rethink putting you on the medication and, and maybe the, maybe we don't need surgery. And you walk out of there delighted and you're happy. But, but nine times out of ten, you know what ends up happening? We revert and we go back to where we were before. And here's the reason, why, why, why? Here, let me, let me tell you the reason why. The reason why is because the further away you get from the threat that originally served as your motivator, to make the lasting change, you no longer feel that you actually need to sustain that. Inspiration works the same way. The further away you get, of, get away from the original event that inspired you, the bigger the inability to sustain change. And so the key to lasting change, what they've actually found out is, is a means of not just desperation and inspiration, but really what it is, it's a perfect blend of the two together where you have to maintain both desperation and inspiration for true transformation. But what I'm going to do at the end of this, this, this message today is I'm going to tell you about one other component that I feel that is absolutely vital. And so last week what we did is we took a look at the factors of the heart, the heart. And we took a look at the, the factors that do not lead to any type of transformation. They don't, they don't need, lead to any type of action. The, you've been, the person's been coming to church, you've been coming to the altar, and yet there's no change. There's no change. There's no movement forward. There's some factors that are going on internally that inhibit the change. But here's what I want to do this afternoon. I want to come alongside everything that was said last week. And I want to denote this, that there's generally this human tendency that's prevalent. It's prevalent in the world, but it's also prevalent in the church to be intoxicated and solely captivated by what we hear by what we receive, by what we take in. There, there, there's a culture that we have within our church is to exclusively be what I call entertained. That word entertainment is actually a combination of three words. The first word is enter, meaning to let in. You've got that. Tain, the, the word tain is actually Latin for the, the word, actually means, which means to possess or to occupy. Okay, mint is actually Latin for the word mine, which means to hold or to keep. In other words, entertainment is letting something in to possess and hold and keep you, keep your attention. And we've missed this. And so the church has gotten to the point where it has gotten to a, a sheer place where it no longer is a place where people come to actually be changed and to make change and to take action. But we've just come to simply hear and receive and pastor feed me more. Oh, 
worship team, sing a song that just moves me a little bit more. Sing something that stirs my soul, that moves my spirit. We've, in fact, engineered our culture in such a way to appeal to our two senses of consistently wanting to see and consistently wanting to hear. This is what Solomon says. He says, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 8. Let me put that up there. He says, all things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is never satisfied with seeing nor the ear with hearing. Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse 21, that Paul is on his second missionary journey, and he runs into this place called Athens. Now, Athens at the time, during biblical times, was actually the, the, the intellectual capital of the world. But, but in the Bible, it describes this. It says that he runs into this place full of idolatry, and, and the Bible describes it as, as it was a place where They spent their time doing nothing else but to hear some new thing, consistently trying to be consumed. Scripture gives us the depiction that they always sat around trying to hear something fresh, something new, some new ideology, some, some, some new theology, some new philosophy, something to tantalize their senses, something to make them ooh and ah and stir that pot of discussion. Athens was a community completely given over to wanting to simply receive and hear and get. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 7, the Bible says that Paul actually wrote to Timothy and said this, in the last days, okay, what did he say? He said, folks will forever be learning, never coming or being able to come to the knowledge of a truth, consistently receiving. Now, Opening text is taken from the book of James, and this is, I'm going to give you some context or backdrop on this text. This is not, there are two disciples named James. There's James the lesser, okay, and there's James the son of Zebedee, that's the son of the, the brother of John. This is neither of those two that penned this. This is actually James the half-brother of Jesus. This is Jesus' half-brother. And James is going to write, and he begins by writing this passage, and I don't know if you know this, but James is actually a book that's highly controversial. James out of the Bible. There are theologians that actually wanted to throw James out of the Bible. One main theologian I'm going to tell you about, and you've heard him, a man by the name of Martin Luther. Anybody heard Martin Luther? Luther was openly critical of James. Now, I'm going to give you some context to why Luther was openly critical of James. Luther is the face of, we call him the father. I only call one person father. Okay. But Luther was the, the face of what you call the Protestant Reformation. Luther had come out of Catholicism, and Catholicism was, he came out of Catholicism as a monk. Now, Catholicism, the, the, the sect that he came out of was extremely corrupted, and it was extremely works Based. It was, you're, you were justified based on what you did, not on what God had done for you. Luther comes out of this because he has this great revelation that we're saved by grace through faith. But what he does is he swings the pendulum so far hard the other way that what happened is he runs into this book called James. And James screams, faith without works is dead. The problem that Luther has is he has to reconcile this based on what he first came out of. Now, here's where this ties in from last week, and you must listen to the message last week. Luther's issue is that he had been in a works-based system. 
for so long as a monk that what had happened, and you remember what he talked on last week, is that the heart, the soil, that's that beaten path that's been walked all over. It's been trampled. It's been traumatized. It's been abused. It's been misused. His heart was so hard that he could not receive the message that James had, which was faith without works is dead. And so he could never reconcile the two of grace and actually understanding his responsibility and works. And that was the issue that Luther had. So it never got reconciled. James is going to scream this. He says, thou hast faith, I have works. Show me thy faith without my works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. In other words, what James is simply saying, look, I'm going to show you what I believe based on what I do. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. Talk is cheap. I'm going to put some skin in the game. James is going to point out this. He's going to point out this human tendency that we have. And this is what even within our culture today is the human tendency that we have is we lack integrity. We lack integrity. Now I'm going to define what integrity is for you. What integrity is, integrity is this, it's simply this. It's a consistency in thought, word, and action. And so what we have oftentimes within church cultures, people say stuff, but they don't really believe it. We sing stuff, but we, we don't really believe it. We, 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 we say we believe the body is the, the temple of the Holy Ghost. If we say that, it ought to have effect on, on what you do and what you don't do. It ought to have effect on where you go and where you don't go. It ought to have an effect on what you wear and what you don't wear. It ought to have an effect on what you put in your body and what you take out of your body. And so what James is going to write, and when he writes this, he says, he's saying, there's no real application. James chapter 1, verse 1. Can you pull that up, sis? This is James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad greeting. James is going to begin this writing and he's going to write this, this word you see, it says scattered, scattered abroad. James is at this point in time, he's actually writing to the church, which is scattered abroad. The church is at this point in time, actually been persecuted. And so everybody is everywhere. It seems just, it's, it's, it would appear to be that it's disjointed. It's, it's unorganized. It's, it's, it does, they don't know really what they're doing. Church is, 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 is seemingly just in a disarray. James says, greetings to those that are scattered abroad. Anybody ever sometimes spiritually feel like you don't know where you're going, what you're doing, where you should go, what you should do next? James is, is essentially writing to this church, a church that's scattered. And he's going to follow this up by saying, my, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation divers meaning diverse temptations knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience in other words in the midst of this persecuted church where everybody is everywhere brother john you, you show up and there's nobody there for bible study and you text me and say and i go oh i should let you know scattered it's, it's disjointed it's, it's confused everybody is everywhere in the midst of this what James is doing while everybody's running around, while the church has been persecuted, what James says is, 
testing, testing, testing. The trying, that's what trying means. Trying if your faith worketh patience. James says, hit it, sis, testing, 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 testing. Testing. This is a test. Everybody remember those? This is a test. This is a test. This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is only a test. Everybody remember these. In the midst of this pandemonium with everybody running everywhere, James takes essentially the mic and he goes, testing, testing. This is a test. This is a test. In the midst of your trials and your frustrations and your circumstances, James is going to begin to tell you it's only a test. It's just a test. Testing. It's just a test. That's all it is, testing. Now, the, the emergency broadcast system used to run these all the time. And, and what they were doing is when they ran these tests, the, the reason they ran these tests was actually is that they weren't testing your response time. You know what they were testing? What they're simply testing is they're testing the outlets or the channel to see if you can actually hear or get the message. Can you receive the message? What they do, and this is what ends up happening, is they test your cellular network. They test you because you get these through either the radio, you get them through the TV, or you get them through your cell phone. You know when everybody's cell phone goes off with an Amber Alert, Amber Alert. Okay, it's it's those are real, but oftentimes it's used to test the outlet or test the network, test the channel itself. Now. They're not testing to see what your response is, but they're simply testing to see, do these channels work in the event that there's an actual emergency? Here's the issue, okay? What we've got to understand is sometimes we've got to understand what is actually being tested. I'm going to share this with you, and I don't, this may not be your, 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 your version of, the, of how things happen, but growing up, I'm going to be real. Okay, we have fire drills. How I many of you have fire drills when we was in school? And my school, we, they're pretty pathetic. Fire drills are pretty bad. You know why? The homeroom teacher told you when the fire drill was going to be. She told you it was going to be at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And, and part of I, I believe that they actually told us so we wouldn't be cutting up. Okay? She wanted us to know so when all of a sudden the drill went out, we didn't go crazy. But the homeroom teacher would actually tell you when the fire drill was going to be. And I, what, what kind of, that's not a real drill. If you want to test the response time, do it when everybody's in the bathroom or something, you know? Do it when, 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 it's, when it's, it's, it's recess time. Do it at a time period where nobody's expected. But she would tell us this stuff. I think she told us because she didn't want us acting up. That's what I think it was. She wanted us. And you would get in, you know, they would tell you, oh, the fire drill's going to be at 2 o'clock. Okay, please push your chairs in and please follow the line out. You know, we, we would get in there, and what we would do is we would do what she said. we walk out, and like just like lemmings, we walk out, and then there, there would be a fireman, and he'd be right there, and he'd have this, there'd be two, three firemen, and sometimes they, they'd sit there, and you'd see they had pulled the alarm, okay? And it took me a while to figure out that they were never testing to see actually if we were ready or uh, our responsiveness, but what they were simply doing is they were testing the system to see if we could actually hear and if we could actually receive the message or the alarm in the event of a fire. Here's one of the issues, and this is what I'm going to bring to you this, this afternoon. Is that the, the outstanding issue is not simply whether you and I can hear and receive the word of God. 
the outstanding issue that James is going to challenge us with here, and I'm going to challenge you with here in this new year, is will you actually apply it? Will you do it? Will you actually put it into action what you're going to receive from this pulpit in the year of 2024? And so James says this, James chapter 1, verse 21 through 24, says this. It says, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and super, superfluity of naughtiness. James comes right out the gate and he says, there's some stuff you have to put aside. That word filthiness is, in other words, it's, 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 it's the connotation that gives there is a, a dirty t-shirt, a, a soiled garment, some stuff that you should not be wearing, Okay. He says, filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That word naughtiness in the Greek is kakaya, which actually means, when you look it up, it means malice. Malice is actually the intent or the desire to do evil. And now the natural follow-up is, why in the world do people, how, how do I put, put away my desires? How do you put away a desire? I have an intent or a desire to do evil. But do, do you know this, that you can, you can and I'm, I'm going to share this with you because, Here's what happens is that oftentimes we think our desires are what influences our action. And that's, that's, that's only part of the truth. That's part of the truth. But here's the real truth is that what scientists have actually discovered, because that traditional thought is that, that that's only half of the truth. Your actions can actually influence your emotional desires, So in other words, how you can control what you desire, how you can control what you crave, how you can control what you want is actually by changing your actions. They can deeply influence your actual actions. I'm I'm going to give you an example. Anyone here familiar with the Stanford prison experiment? Can you put that clip up? 1971, and Stanford, the University of Stanford, uh, the researcher did a test, and, and this test that he did is he had 70 volunteers, and those volunteers, they, they volunteered to be part of this experiment. And in the experiment, what he did was he took these people, and these, I think it was all males, probably, but he took all, the, all these volunteers, and he divided them up. And some of the volunteers were prisoners, and some of the volunteers were guards. And this was supposed to be a two-week experiment, and they were going to take a look at this experiment and try, and try to figure out a lot of things. They're trying to figure out social behaviors. They're trying to figure out... The, the impact of, of, of putting people in these types of environments, and they were going to put them into this mock-like scenario. It was a, it was a prison scenario, and, and they, it was supposed to last two weeks, but after six days, they actually had to shut the test down. And the reason they had to shut the test down was because they found that the, the students that they had, that had volunteered, that they had assigned to be guards, were actually acting so cruel and tyrannical to the students that were prisoners who actually they had researchers in and they tested them and found out that they were in deep states of depression and disorientation. Now, mind you me, none of these were real guards and none of them were real prisoners. But what they found out was the action that they had taken, the role that they had taken on, had actually began to influence their demeanor and their emotional state. This is the same way, this is the same thing that happens when we talked about actors getting into their roles. They'll go out and they'll, they'll, you see, sometimes, you know what they'll do? They will actually begin to, to, to get, get in better shape or getting sometimes in worse shape in order to play the role. This is, this is part of, I, I want to get it, I can go into this all day. This is part of what they call with channeling, when they start channeling things to get into those certain roles. 
Your actions can actually dictate or influence okay, your actual demeanor. They can shape your desires. So now when we talk about a month of consecration, consecration is, is comprehensive. And what I mean by comprehensive is there's more than one step occurs. And the first step that occurs, according to James, is, is you've, you and I have to put ourselves into action. We've got to take a step forward. And the first thing being is we've got to set some stuff aside. Hear me now, church. God's going to call some of us in here. He's calling some of us in here this afternoon. You're going to have to put some things aside. Some places you're going to have to stop going to. Some things you have to stop watching. Some things you got to stop listening to. Some imaginations, some trains of thoughts need to be torn down. The principle of this, and, and here, it's simply a matter of what I call space. It's a matter of space or capacity. You and I have to understand this, and this is one of the issues that I believe that's prevalent within the church today, is what we do is when we approach a, a, a month like consecration, the flesh approaches like, man, Pastor, you're making me give something up today, I can't eat this. I can't go there. I can't do this. I can't do that. And what we do is typically in the church, we've been designed or conditioned to approach it as if we can't do anything. But that's not really the issue. The true issue is really what it's a matter of. It's a matter of capacity. In other words, you've been filled up too much with the carnal. And what he's having you do is put some stuff aside so you can, in fact, receive something from the spiritual. This is why in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says, Jesus says, you, you, you cannot serve two masters. The real problem we have is we don't understand is that you've got to put some stuff aside so you can receive what God, what Jesus has for you. And so it's going to require you and I to put away some bitterness. You hold on to some pain. You hold on to anger. And we hold on to these things primarily because what they do is, you know why people hold on to stuff? Because it fuels them. It gives them justification to act the way they want to act and think the way they think and, and, and listen the way that they want to listen. Listen, that's why we hold on to this stuff. That's why we say hurt people, hurt people. And meanwhile, what Jesus is doing, he's standing in there saying, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me this, give me this. Give me that bitterness. Give me that pain. Give me that shame. Somebody has to get to the point where you actually start to let some stuff go. That's actually what forgiveness means. It's a release. Begin to release and let some things go. Second step after putting some things aside, is you have to be prepared to receive. Be prepared to receive. I want us to begin this, this consecration month to begin to reshape our narrative and understand that this is a month about, about you getting something. God wants to give you something. He wants to give you more than what, where you've been in 2023. This is not about you having to deny something. God, right now you're filled up with so much stuff that he cannot impart some things on you. Verse 22, James chapter 1. It says, but be ye doers. You heard me say this before. Anytime you read the grammatical word but in a sentence in Scripture, understand what the but is doing is it's shifting the direction of the context. So it's going to shift it in the opposite direction, or sometimes it can actually accelerate it into a different, a higher level. And James is going to begin by saying but. But. 
And so when you think about it in this context, what he's simply saying is, is that, you know, I look out in this, in this pulpit and I recognize I see the same faces in the same places every single Sunday. And there's no doubt about it that we're here to receive. I, I, I know, sis, sis, you sit right here typically, Sis Longoria, and, and you are right here, and, and you two are right there. And, 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 and Brother Carl, you're usually back here. Chris, you're right there. I, I see the same faces in the same places. And there's no doubt that, you know what, every single Sunday, you know what we do? We sit here and we receive. You hear. I have no doubt there's a reception of the word. James is going to come along and say, but, but, but the reception, the hearing is not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. I, I have no doubt that we, we receive this, but James says, but, but are, but are you, are you doer? Are, are you doers of the word and not hearers only? It's not enough. It's, it's not enough. And, and this is what I want you to get a hold of this afternoon. It's not enough that you come to church. It's not enough that you've came every Sunday. It's not enough that you're moved. It's not enough that you come to the altar. It's not enough that you leave here feeling a little bit good in your system. It's not enough. James says it's all not if you're not a doer of the word and only a hearer. He says this in 23, he says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in glass. That word beholding means he essentially he fully, observe himself, fully observes himself. You ever take a look in the mirror and sometimes you go, you, you get one of those real good mirrors, you know what I'm talking about? The mirrors that show everything, they got good lighting with it. And you, you start seeing some stuff you ain't never seen before. You know what I'm talking about? Some wrinkles, some blemishes. You thought it was fuzz, it was gray hair. You know, you thought you had hair in the hair. That's, that's, oh, that's not hair. <laughs> I'm starting to lose my hair. You know, that's what that word beholding means. It means to fully observe. You take full inventory of yourself. He says, verse 24, he says, for he, he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Okay. It says this, he, he beholds himself and sees himself before that verse 23 in the what? In the natural state. In the natural. What, you know, what's that, what's that word natural means? Natural means how you woke up. You know? I'm not seeing you in the natural. I'm seeing you before you had an opportunity to do this. You know? That natural state. That natural state is, is, is you know, your hair is all undone. Teeth ain't brushed. You ain't made up. Some of you took some, some took some of your teeth out, put them back in. You know, you've not arranged yourself. But 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 that's the natural. And what James is comparing the Bible to is he says the Bible is that mirror. It really is that mirror that you look at and you read it, and it shows us for who we really are. 
the depravity of what we do. It, it, it understands where we're coming. You can't fool. You, I can fool you all day. But when you open up the word of God, it has the ability to show you basically what you're really about. That's why in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is quick, powerful, and sharpened two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And this is why I love, I love this part. And of the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's sometimes, I don't know about you, but I'm speaking to myself. I don't even know if that thought is from God or if that thought is of the flesh. I have to actually figure out who is that talking in there. You ever have that? Maybe it's just me. Or I have to actually read the word and let the word begin to discern and actually divide and disseminate who, where is that actually coming from? Who, who, who's talking in there? And say, so here's the challenge. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm wrapping up here. The challenge that I'm going to present to you today in 2024 is to respond to the word of God in whatever form that you're in. And what I mean by that is I'm challenging you to respond to the word of God and be a doer. Whether that word of God comes from the pulpit, whether that word of God comes in your prayer time, whether that word of God comes in your Bible reading, whether that word of God comes during that one-on-one time in your Bible study. We're, We're going to have to be doers of the word of God and not just hearers. And here's what it's going to require. Here's what it's going to require. It's going to require somebody in here to extend a hand of forgiveness. Somebody in here, somebody's, somebody's hurt you in the past. Somebody in your family's hurt you. Somebody maybe, dare I say, in the church has hurt you. Maybe, dare I say, this church has hurt you. Dare I say, it's a coworker that's hurt you. It's going to require you to be a doer of the word. It's going to require you to extend a hand of forgiveness to that individual. There are folks in here, I'm telling you, okay, God is calling you to establish some consistent time in prayer, some consistent time in Bible reading, some consistent time in spiritual and natural disciplines, and you're going to have to, to have to be a doer and establish those things and watch how God shows up. There's someone in here this afternoon that God is required calling you to be a doer of the word and remove some of the distractions in your life and get serious about a relationship with him. Your life has been consumed with nonsensical things that have been wasting your time and keeping you from stepping into the calling that he has for you. There's somebody in here, you're involved in an illicit relationship, okay, that you shouldn't be in, and God is calling you out of that. Don't think about it. Don't qualify it. Don't justify it. He's calling you into a place of purity where you can step forward and begin to move forward in, in what he's asking you to do, okay? But don't think about it. Don't try to justify it. He's calling you, in fact, to be a doer of the word. There's somebody in here that God's calling you to take the next step and shift your mindset into thinking about what, what can the church give to me? How can I receive? But shift your mindset in 2024 and begin to think about how is it that I can give back to the church, give back to the body. Let's stand. Let's stand. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. This is uh, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in I've uh, told this story before, and I'm going to tell it again. Um, when, I was, when I was younger, um, I played a lot of sports. And I grew up playing, the uh, first sport I played was soccer. The first sport I actually played. And, and I, I remember my, my father, 
my father was the one that would actually, he, he, would, he would take me to, to, he would take me to games. My, my daddy, daddy was the one that took me to my soccer games. He was, he was the one that actually bought me my cleats. He was the one that bought me my uniform. It, it was daddy. Daddy was the one that would actually shuttle me to and fro. He was the one that would, when, when I was hungry after the games, daddy would, would get me something to eat. And, and, and oftentimes this was done. My, my dad, my father was a social worker for the state of Wisconsin before he retired. And, and, and so oftentimes he did this at his own expense, at his own sacrifice. And so he would, he would because there were time, times he, he, he would he'd just be coming off of work and, and he, would, he would essentially have to go from work to pick me up to take me to the practice field and the back. And, and, and he didn't have time to go home and unwind. It was, there, was, there wasn't much time to put his feet up there. There was no time being in social work where you hear, hear that heavy load. He had, had to go from being working for the state of Wisconsin to, to putting on his hat as a, as a father. And oftentimes he would show up, he would show up to the fields with his, his tie undone and his, his shirt unbuttoned and his sleeves rolled up. And, and I, I remember one game he showed up and I, I don't, I don't remember if we were winning. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really remember if we were losing. I, I think we were winning, but I, I remember that the score was was extremely lopsided. And and I remember, as any eight year old would do, is is you know what, you just kind of check out. You know, imagine the attention span of an eight year old. Okay, next, squirrel. Yeah, no, no attention span at all. And, and we had just kind of checked out. And, and we were we were in the field and we were we were we were goofing off and I, I think we, we 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 were goofing around and I remember there there was a break in the action and my my father called me over briefly and he 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 began to try to impart some type of wisdom on me and he began to you know it's that time and moment he began to say hey. You gotta, you gotta hustle, son. You, you gotta finish this thing strong. You know, keep your foot on the gas. He, he tried to in, in, impart in a, in a, an adult principle into me at that moment. And it was only a short moment, and and for whatever reason, he, you know how it is as an adult where you realize that what you're saying is not landing with your child. He's not, he's not getting it. They're not getting it. And and at some point in time, he must have recognized this. <laughs> you, you hear this? Okay. And and. He, he, he says these four words to me that I'll, I'll never, I will never forget. I'll never forget. Realizing that it was not landing, that he had an eight-year-old he was talking to. He says, son, do it for me. Do it for me. And it was the simplicity of those four words, that signature moment that brought Everything together, everything began to click. Everything he had been trying to say began to make sense. And it began to make sense because, because all of a sudden, I got it. Because it clicked because it, it, it wasn't about anything else. What it was about was it was about daddy was the one that had sacrificed to get me to that playing field. It, it was daddy that had picked me up McDonald's when I was hungry. It was daddy that had brought my cleats it was daddy that had brought my uniform. It was daddy that showed up when he was tired. It was daddy that had showed up when it was rain. Daddy was there when it was sunny. Daddy was there when it was cloudy. Daddy had always sacrificed to get me to this place on this playing field where I could run up and down this field. And I, I remember I would look over and I would see him with his tie undone. 
and he'd have his hands in the air yelling, that's my boy. Here's the issue with all of this. What, what triggered the change, it had nothing to do with inspiration. It had nothing to do with desperation. But what triggered the change that for the next 20 to 25 minutes, I played with all my might. I hustled like you would never seen before. I ran around like my hair was on fire. But what triggered the change had nothing to do with desperation or inspiration, but it had to do with representation. Because what I realized in that signature moment was who I was representing. And my daddy had made everything. My daddy had done it all so that I could be here. My daddy had sacrificed everything so I could run and play this game of life. And what I'm trying to articulate this afternoon is that somebody has to get to the point where you're a doer of the word, not based on inspiration, not based on desperation, but you've got to look at what your heavenly father has done for you and realize it's about representation. Presentation. Okay, he, he died so you can in fact play this game of life. He was whipped using that cat of nine tails. It shred glasses of shred. They filleted his back wide open. Okay. His back was wide open and they forced him to carry that cross. Splinters were in his open wounds. You and I call it Good Friday. The Friday wasn't good for him. They placed him between two thieves, two men of ill report, like a common criminal, like he was a scoundrel, like he was a misfit, like he was a minister of society, as if he had done something wrong when he did nothing wrong. They spit on him. They mocked him. They punched him. They stripped him naked. I don't care what they show you in those pictures. He had no waist cloth. They embarrassed him. He hung on that cross, and he looked down, and he saw his mama crying uncontrollably as her firstborn son hung on that cross in agony and pain. He scans the crowd and with blood dripping in his eyes, tears and sweat running into his eyes, stinging, trying to find somebody that could console his mama. Somebody to talk to her in her time of need. And he did it all. He sacrificed everything so that you, you and I, you and I could play this game called life. So you and I can run up and down the field. So you and I can play the bass. So I can sit here and proclaim his glory. So we can sit here and get worship. And what he asks of you now is do not be here. Don't just be a receiver. But he's asking you, do it for me. Do it for me. Do it for me. year in 2024. I'm going to challenge you and I'm going to talk to you about stepping out in action. Being a doer. Not just out of desperation or inspiration, 
but our representation and understanding how what God has put on your heart, how that's a reflection of who he is and how you reflection of who he is and how you got to need to begin to see yourself, not through your eyes, but you need to see yourself through how he sees you. It's my daddy who shed his blood for me. My daddy was punched in the face for me. My daddy was whipped for me. This altar's open. But my prayer, my prayer, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray with each and every one of them. My prayer is that you and I start getting a hold of how he sees you. And you can begin to play this game of life. Understand that you are a representation of your heavenly father. This altar is open.